From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly look at the Torah portion. Torah portion this week is Kedoshim. And we have one of the most iconic verses of the Torah that we're going to look at tonight. When I say iconic, I mean that according to many, this is the key, the heart and soul of the entire Torah, the entire Bible. If we had to choose one verse that would capture the message of Torah, some say that it's one verse in this week's Torah portion, which we will focus on tonight. Hey, Rabbi, good to see you. But before I tell you what that verse is, even though you might already know what that is, you might have a guess of what that is, before I tell you what that is, I need to talk about the concept of love, which is a hint, a big hint as to what the verse is. Concept of love. So love can mean many different things to many different people. And when I say it can mean many different things to many different people, what I mean is if I ask you a very simple question, define the word love. We have with us around 20 people participating tonight. If we went around and got everybody's definition, more than 20, probably close to 25 people, if we got everyone's definition of love, I would imagine we would probably have yeah, out of 25, probably 25 definitions. We would, we would have a lot of Maybe definitions. More. Huh? Maybe more. Maybe more, exactly. Right, what do they say? Two Jews, three opinions. Three opinions. Right, we got, we got multiple opinions for each person. That's how we roll. So, let's do this. Let's go around and let's get some definitions of the word love. What does love mean? Jump in. Unmute. I muted everybody to have a clean background. Unmute, jump in. I'm doing the part piece right now. So oh, okay. So you're otherwise occupied. Okay, good. Fine. Everybody else, jump in. Kvel. Say it again. Kvel. 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 Okay, good. Good. Caring about. Caring about. Good. Great affection. Great affection. Excellent. What else? Give me definitions of love. What does love mean? Can I talk, Harry? Absolutely. We can hear you. Yeah. Okay, um, I think I think it means putting the, what the other individual wants before your own. Putting someone else before yourself. Good, good. What else? Give me more definitions of love. Let's uh, let's make a list here. What else we have? Devotion. Devotion. Excellent. What else? Still open for suggestions. What's the question? <laughs> the, <laughs> the, hey, Yaakov, good to see you. The question is, how do you define love? How, how do you... Unconditionally caring for un- someone. Unconditionally caring, good, good. How do you define love? Let's take two more. Abnegation of self in service of others. Good. Abnegation of self, service of others. Good. Excellent. Mutual respect. Mutual respect. Excellent. Last one. I said two. We're going to do three. Last one. Who wants to chime in on this one? It's like the babka. No one wants to eat the last piece of babka. Let's go. Last one. Somebody jump in on this. Bonding. Bonding. Okay. That works. Steve. Caring. Caring. Good. Ah. We eked out a final, final one. I love it. All right, friends, tonight we talk about love. Now you're going to ask a question. What's love got to do with it? Right? What's love got to do with it? I'll answer this. All you need is love. No, so the, here's the deal. What's love got to do with it? This week's Torah portion talks about love. As I mentioned at the opening, there's an iconic verse in this week's Torah portion that some say is the most important verse, passage, in the entire five books of Moses. And it's in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse number 18. And I feel like we're just about ready to reveal 
the verse. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And let's, let's do this. All right. Text number one, Leviticus 19, 18. The Torah says as follows. You know what, Elio, if you don't mind, get us started, please. Nice and loud. You shall neither take revenge on nor bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your fellow as yourself. I am God. So the first part of the verse talks about revenge and grudges. Don't take revenge. Don't bear a grudge. Revenge, by the way, for those interested. Revenge, I mean, interested in not doing it. Revenge is some awkward guys. So revenge is, as Rashi says, if, if you ask to borrow some lawn equipment from your friend, from your neighbor, and your neighbor says no, and the next day they knock at your door and they ask, can I borrow lawn equipment from you? And you say to them, are you kidding me? Don't you remember yesterday you didn't lend me your stuff? Why should I lend you mine? That's called taking revenge, doing to them what they did to you. Bearing a grudge is when they ask you for lawn equipment after them not giving you theirs the day before, you say to them, I will give you my lawn equipment, not like what you did to me yesterday in which you dig into them. And thus, although you're not taking revenge, you're still bearing a grudge. We would call this perhaps forgiving, but not forgetting. That was, I'm quoting Ray, from uh, a few days ago at DBP or yesterday at DBP. All right, now... That is revenge or grudge. But the focus here of this class is on the last half of that verse. V'yahavta l're... No, that didn't work. V'yahavta l'reacha kamocha ani Hashem. Love your fellow... You shall love your fellow as yourself. I am God. You shall love your fellow as yourself. That is the mitzvah that we focus on today. So... Yeah, but isn't that the commitment we make every morning when we, when we say... Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Excellent call. Every morning... We have a custom before chakras, after the morning blessings, but before we do a deep dive into the prayers, we say, Behold, I hereby accept upon myself mitzvat asay, the positive commandment, shall of, you have to love your fellows yourself. Yes, we formally and verbally acknowledge and embrace that obligation. We need to understand, though, what does it mean to love your fellows yourself? What does it mean? Does it mean to buy roses for the neighborhood? Does it mean, to, what does it mean to love your fellow as yourself? What, what does that mean, love? We had so many different definitions. Does that mean to be abnegated before them? Does it mean to unconditionally care about them? Does, I'm trying to recall some of the ideas that were mentioned. Does it mean to, um, man, to and out. But right, what does it mean, right? What does it mean to love your fellow as yourself? What does it actually mean? And the real big question is, how do you legislate an emotion? I've used this example countless times, and I apologize. If you're, actually, don't, don't apologize. You, you can hear it again. I'm saying it again. You can hear it again. <laughs> if I have to hear it again, all right. it hurts me worse than it hurts you. So here's the deal. You have a young driver learning how to drive. I may or may not be experiencing this right now. I'm just saying. I may or may not be dealing with a child that has a, that has a permit. Um, so the child is learning the rules of the road. And you tell the child, or anybody, you tell them, here's the dealio. When you come to a stop, uh, stop sign, thank you, I knew there was a word for it. When you come to a stop sign, here's what you do. First of all, notice it, acknowledge it, and then full stop, stop your vehicle. Look both ways, or whatever, and then safely pull out into traffic. Preferably with your father, not with you in the car. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Total trust. Total trust. This is like falling back and knowing that you'll be caught. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. So you tell the child, you got to stop. And when you come to a stop sign, you must stop and then proceed. But here's what you don't tell the child. You don't tell the child that when you come to the stop sign, you have to love stopping. To love stopping? First of all, it doesn't even make sense in English, but what I mean is you have to love the fact that you're stopping. Why would I have to love the fact that I'm stopping? I have to stop. It's very utilitarian. It's very practical. You know why? Because the law doesn't legislate ever emotion. I'll say that coherently. There is no such thing in any system of law as legislating emotion. You're going to start, you're going to start uh, legislating how people feel? And, and how are you going to know that? 
<laughs> How are you going to know? Oh, I don't think that you love that person. Now, now you're in trouble. I mean, who's, that, that's, it doesn't even make sense to legislate love. You have to love your fellows yourself. So number one, that's weird. Number two, what if I don't? What if I don't love my neighbor? What if I don't love my fellow? But you have to. Give me an actionable item, and I can force myself to do it. Give me an emotion, and now I don't know what to do. Are you with me on this? What do I do when you legislate a feeling? How do you legislate a feeling? You have to love. I don't. You have to. You can tell me to do something, but how can you tell me how to feel? By the way, the same question could be asked regarding the Shema. V'yahavta es Hashem Elokeichem. You shall love the Lord your God. You can ask the same question. How are you legislating love of God? Either I love or I don't love. Are you going to force? How do you force an emotion? You have to love. have to love. You know, sometimes a person has to take medicine. Again, I'll go back to, to which the child example. child needs medicine. Many, time, many, many cases, the child doesn't like the taste of medicine. So you say, you know what? You may not like it. You got to do it. Do you tell the child, not only do you have to take the medicine, you have to like the medicine. You have to love the medicine. Why? Number one, why? Number two, it's not fair to legislate. Either they love it or they don't love it. You have to love vanilla ice cream. Why? Because I said so. I don't. You have to. Tell me I have to eat it. Okay, now I'll have to figure out why, but that's one thing. But tell me that I have to love it. Now that feels very controlling. To be honest, it feels very, con- feels very specific. Okay, so the question is, what does it mean when the Torah says, in one of the most famous verses of the Torah, you shall love, and shall doesn't mean like if you feel like it. You shall means like do this. Love your fellow as yourself. What does that mean? Because of the strength of this question. It's not my question, although I'm asking it. It's not. Because of the strength of this question, many commentaries say that you have to reimagine the verse. When the Torah says love your fellows yourself, it doesn't actually mean love as an emotion. What it means is do the things that one would do if they love the other. In other words, the Torah is saying, love your fellow as yourself, meaning act like you love your fellow as yourself, and therefore go out of your way for them, don't harm them. In other words, act as though. So whether or not you feel the emotion, whatever, that's, that's, that's irrelevant. When, it's, when we say, when the Torah says, love your fellow, it doesn't actually mean love. It means do the things that you would do if or had you love them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many commentators, because of the strength of the question, how you legislate an emotion, they actually shift it and say, you know what? The Torah is not talking about emotion. It's not, it's not actually mandating feelings. It's mandating action that would be, uh, would, would sink, would be, uh, would, would be compatible with that emotion. You find this in many, many medieval Jewish scholars. Many of the, known as the Rishonim, many of the early medieval Jewish commentaries and scholars, they, um, they explain that this is the heart and soul of this commandment to love. I'll give you two examples. We'll pull them up on the screen, and we have them inside here in the booklets. Um, text 2a and 2b, and let's read these right now. Okay, if you have a book, you can also certainly follow along. This is, this is coming from the Chizkuni, and the Chizkuni says as follows. You know what, um, Marnin, if you don't mind, please take it away, text 2A. The Torah was careful not to write, love your fellow as you love yourself, as this is impossible for human beings to do. Rather, it says, love to your neighbor with a lamed. In other words, you should love to do kind things for another as you would love so thank you so what the Chizkuni says and it works much better in the Hebrew the verse doesn't say love your fellow as yourself it says it adds an extra lamed prefix again this works very well in the Hebrew this analysis in the English a little bit uh, lost in translation the verse says I'm going to say it again in the Hebrew Viahafta, the verse actually says, Viahafta li reacha kamocha. Love, li means to. Love to your fellow. Love to your fellow? What do you mean love to? You should say love your fellow. Now, I know the English says that, but in the Hebrew, it should actually say that. Viahafta reacha kamocha. Love your fellow as yourself. What's the li reacha? 
What's, what's the actual lamed? Which means love to your fellow. So the chizkuni says, you know what it means? It means there's no mitzvah to love. You don't actually have to have an emotion. But it means love to your fellow. Um, do the things to your fellow that match up with the emotion of love. So again, I'm going to read this last line one more time of the chizkuni in the English. In other words, you should love to do kind things for another as you would love for others to do for you. So when it says you should love to your fellow, love to do to your fellow the things that you would love to be done to you. In other words, stated very simply, the chizkuni moves it, moves this mitzvah from the realm of emotion and feeling into the realm of action, concrete, tangible, quantifiable action. Love your fellow as yourself is love to your fellow as yourself, and it means do loving things to your fellow as you would love to be done to yourself. Do the things that people do when they love each other. I, I don't feel the love, so what? Fake it till you make it, right? That's, that's the way life is. We do things all the time that we don't want to do because we have to do it, and this is one of those examples. You have to act nicely to the other. You have to act kindly to the other. You have to act lovingly to the other. I, I don't feel it. So what? Imagine your, your child says to you, I don't want to stop. I don't like stopping at, this, at the stop sign. What do you tell them? Rabbi. Then I'm revoking your permit. No, I'm kidding. Then you tell them, essentially, right? No one ever said you had to love it. No one ever said you had to like it. You just have to do it. We do things all the time that we don't want to do. It's part of life, right? It's part of life. So the Torah says, love your fellow. Doesn't mean love your fellow, it means love to your, do loving things to your fellow. Ah, you don't want to, you don't love to? Okay, so what? Do it anyway. Yeah, Ray. Um, could you explain the Chizkuni? Is that a commentary? Yeah, Chizkuni is a commentary. Chizkuni is a commentary, and oh, okay. there's a bio there. Um, 1250 to 1310. He was from France. Chizkuni. Now, let's look at the next text, because here we have another twist on it. Similar concept. This comes from the Paneach Raza from around the year 1300. Okay, here's what he writes. Here is what he writes. I'm going to read this one, text 2b. Love your fellow as yourself, but how is it possible to love someone else as yourself? He asked the question, right? He asked it a little bit different. Not how do you mandate an emotion, but how can you feel for another like you feel for yourself? It seems impossible. So he answers. The verse doesn't say to love re'acha your fellow. Rather, it says l're'acha. Again, the same, picking up on the same nuance there with the extra lamid prefix. That which belongs to your fellow. In other words, treat another's property, personal property, Sorry, let me say that again. Treat another person's property with the same care as your own and strive to protect it. So this, this rabbi, this commentary, known as the Paneach Raza from the 1300s, he goes uh, and, and gives another practical understanding of this, of this biblical mandate. He says, it doesn't mean to love, because how, how am I supposed to love someone like I love myself? It's not possible. Whether because you can't mandate an emotion or because how am I supposed to love the other as myself? It's like I, I love myself more than the other one. That's just the way it is. So what, what are you supposed to do? It means take care of someone else's property like you care for your own property. So if you see someone else's property, I'm giving you an example. He doesn't give the example. I'm giving you an example. Um, let's say you see somebody's property in a vulnerable place. Let's say you're walking by someone's house and you see they have a book on their front steps, and it's right past the overhang of the roof, and the skies are threatening rain. This is a very highly specific example, right? And you're like, oh, if it rains, the book's gonna get ruined, and then you say to yourself, not my book, I don't care, like, it's not my, like, why, <laughs> it's not my life, it's not my, I mean, it, this is my life, but that's not my life, it's not my house, it's not my roof, it's not my stairs, it's not my book. You know what, I'm, I'm continuing walking, I got somewhere to go. Right? That's what we say. So the Torah comes along and says, no, you have to the Love your fellow stuff like you love your stuff. That's a very actionable item. And that means if you see someone's stuff in a vulnerable spot, take care of it. Take the book and put it a few steps higher on the, under the roof. So basically the point is that according to many commentaries, right, according to many commentaries, the notion of loving your fellow as yourself is not an emotion it is rather an actionable item. Okay, makes sense so far? Yes? Yes, yes, yes? Okay. 
The problem is, not the problem, uh, maybe the problem is, okay, the, the, the only catch is that there are other commentaries that explain it in a more literal sense, including Rambam Maimonides. Let's take a look at Rambam, text number three. I will read this as well. Text three is coming up. Fast and Furious, uh, right here on page 22 at the bottom. This is what he writes in Sefer HaMitzvot, positive mitzvah number 206. This mitzvah, this that we're talking about tonight, commands us to love our fellow in a manner similar to the love we have for ourselves. Okay, he doesn't make it <laughs> actionable. He says literally love our fellow like we love ourselves. We should direct that same level of dedication to loving and being merciful toward a friend. Well, that's the realm of emotion still. This applies to their body, their financial concerns, and anything they have or desire. Additionally, whatever you desire for yourself, you should desire for another person. Okay? I guess I wish that everyone has a Tesla. As the verse states, you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay? So that is how Rambam, Maimonides, understands it. And so although he talks about some items that are actionable, in other words, what you desire for yourself, you should desire for another person, it's still being locked into the, at least the way I'm reading it, it's still, it's still uh, locked into the realm of emotion. He talks about loving the other and being uh, same, level of, uh, same level of dedication to loving and being merciful to a friend. Mercy, merciful. Talks about um, what you desire for another, desire for yourself. So, it's not so actionable. He's not saying to do the things as if you would love. He's saying to actually love and, and, uh, and, 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 and take care of their stuff. So it seems like he is understanding. It seems that he is understanding this in a more literal sense that it's actually love, which then brings back our question, how do you mandate love? Love is an emotion, and what are you going to do with that? All right. So to the key to Yeah, jump in. Oh, you know, I remember we had a rabbi speak to us like, it's been a good while back, but I'm, he was talking about the subject, and he said that just like we give ourselves a break, like, oh, you know, cut ourselves a little slack, that's what we should do for someone else. Excellent. I remember that rabbi also. I think it was Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe, and he it was, a, it was a brilliant talk. I wonder if it's on the podcast. If not, maybe I can get it uploaded, because it was a while ago before we had the, uh, the podcast account. Um, it was a great talk, and he did say exactly that. His point was that just like when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we know our flaws, we say, all right, I have a, not perfect, but I'm still a good guy, right? I'm still a good person. So of, of, um, give the same type of consideration to the other because for ourselves, we look at the flaw, but the underlying feeling is, I'm a, I'm a good person. When it comes to the other person, their flaws, oh, we can define them. We might define them by their flaws and not look deeper to their essence. Good, excellent, excellent. And we'll touch a little bit. Today's angle is going to be a little bit different, but that is a very good point and very valid over, overall. Um, the key to understand, the key that we're going to follow tonight is based on Rashi's commentary. We love Rashi. We heart Rashi. And Rashi has a lot of secrets embedded in the commentary, including this. By the way, you have to be the Rebbe to see this in Rashi. Let me explain. From after his mother passed away in the 1960s, the Rebbe started a new series of talks that he did when he spoke on Shabbat called Rashi Sichas. These are talks and insights on Rashi. He would take a Rashi on the Torah portion, a simple, what most of the time, very simple Rashi. Rashi is the, like the most basic foundational commentary on the Torah and on the Talmud. And it's the, quote the verse, quote the Rashi. And the Rebbe would proceed to eviscerate the Rashi. I don't know how else. You ever play the game Fruit Ninja? All right, doesn't matter. Eviscerating it, cutting, slicing, and dicing. This is like the Ginsu knife, the Ginsu knife, uh, infomercial at 2 a.m., it slices, it dices, how much would you expect to pay for it? 49.99 slash, 39.99, no. We'll throw in a set of the Rompo Peel something else. The point is like this. If you understand what I'm saying, man oh man, Ashevitz. All right, the point is, the point is that the Rebbe would proceed to rip apart Rashi and 
what seemed like a very reasonable Rashi, the Rebbe would ask 12 questions plus sometimes, more than a dozen questions. And you're left with, I have no idea what Rashi was saying. Rashi makes no sense. I came in thinking it made total sense. And now I have no idea. This was the Rebbe's classic formula. We would take a Rashi, slice it into pieces, and then tell you how the premise that you walked in, how you understood Rashi, was completely the wrong premise. Once you understand what Rashi was really addressing, everything makes sense. He would reconstruct Rashi in a way that would blow your, that will, would and will and does blow your mind. Yes? Not criticizing Rashi, as in Rashi. No, 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 no. That's the first thing. No, no, no. Yeah, if, if you stop the tape, if you stop, what tape? Who knows? If you stop the tape when I said eviscerate, when I said fruit ninja, then you would think that I meant that the Rebbe was dismissing, or as the kids say, dissing Rashi. And that is not exactly, but as I continued, the Rebbe put Rashi back together again. This was a, a, a reverse Humpty Dumpty situation, putting Rashi back together again in a way that was, that, that is absolutely mind-blowing. Like you can't, you did, you can't understand Rashi without the Rebbe's direction. Now here's the thing. The Rebbe dealt with how many Rashis over the years? A lot, but not all of them. But what emerges from the Rebbe's analysis of Rashi is that suddenly you have now klolin, which means general rules when you study Rashi. Like, I'll give you one for example. You ready? Let's try this on for size. Whatever words Rashi quotes from the verse before he launched into his commentary, and he always does, he quotes a few words from the verse, those words are critical to Rashi's comment. It's not like he chose like the first word of the general area. Whatever he quotes or doesn't quote is relevant to the commentary. That's one, that's, we're not going to deal with that one tonight. What we're going to deal with tonight is this, this rule. Rashi typically gives you the insight, you're in, you're out, it's quick. Right? It's like a 10-minute oil change, express loop, boom, you're in, you're out. Right? You get uh, early, early bird special, Wednesday morning, done, you're out. Right, $29.99, boom, 10 minutes, that's it. If Rashi starts quoting the name of the sage who originally said that idea, why? Red flag. Red, not a red flag, don't stop the tape. Red flag, in other words, there's a deeper insight. If Rashi, because Rashi will tell you what the verse means. If Rashi says, Rabbi, this said, this is what the verse means. Why Rabbi, this? He doesn't, Rashi is in Torah, very super concise. Why are you telling me who said it? I'll look it up. I, can, I, I, I know the reference. We can look it up. Why are you telling me the name? It's a, it's a um, oh, sorry, sorry for the mixed metaphor. It's an Easter egg, right? It's, that's, the, that's, the, uh, <laughs> that's the terminology. It's an Easter egg. To tell you to look a little bit deeper, this is going to reveal an insight. With all this in mind, let me share the Rashi on our verse in question. Love your fellows yourself. All right. I feel like I should say drum roll, please. Here we go. Rashi, text number four. A short Rashi that packs a big fruit ninja wallop. The verse states, oh, that's not what Rashi says. The verse states is actually literally like our, um, our cue. Right, the uh, little stage, stage direction. Love your fellows yourself. That's the quote from the verse, right? I have to come. And then Rashi begins. Rabbi Akiva said this is a central principle in Torah. Rabbi Akiva said this is a central, central principle in Torah. Let me ask you a question. Mr. Concise, that's Rashi. Mr. Concise, Rabbi Concise, could have written, love your fellows yourself. This is, the, this is a central principle in Torah. Why does he tell us, why tell me Rabbi Akiva said? Now, you're going to answer because that's what Rabbi Akiva said. And then I'll answer you. Look at every other Rashi in, in, in Chumash. And he, do, he just gives you, the, gives you the meaning, gives you the insight, gives you the commentary. Rashi writes in his introduction to his commentary that he is very concise and very precise and very straightforward. If he starts throwing out names... This is how the Rebbe learns Rashi. Again, it's brilliant. The Rebbe says, if Rashi is quoting the sage, look at the sage to understand Rashi. 
What Rashi is telling you is you won't understand the statement if I didn't tell you who said it. Are you with me on that? Mm-hmm. What is it about Rabbi Akiva that will help us understand this statement? And I have a simple answer for you. We asked the question before, how can you legislate? How can you mandate? How can you enforce? How can you even suggest that someone have an emotion? Love your fellow. Love your fellow. Prompting many commenters say, no, 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 don't worry. You don't have to love. Just do the things. Do nice things. Rashi says no. This is a great principle because it's difficult. But how to do it? Rabbi Akiva is the one who tells you how to do it. Aha. What's what's Rabbi Akiva's insight? How does he unlock this? What's the unlock? Next text. Text number five. I should mention before we get there, this time of year, between Pesach and Shavuot, and really throughout the summer, we study something called Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, which is the ethical treatment in the Mishnah. It's like the ethics beyond the letter of the law. Many of the great rabbis are quoted there, including, you guessed it, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva himself. Text 5 is a quote from Rabbi Akiva in Pirkei Avot. All right, it might be relevant. Here we, here we go. It may just be relevant. All right, text number 5, I'm going to read this one. The people of Israel are so, are so beloved, they are called children of God. As a sign of even greater love, it was made known to them that they are called children of God. As it is said, you are children of the Lord your God. Let me explain what's going on here. This is Rabbi Akiva, although it's not quoted here because this is part of a longer statement. At the beginning of the statement, he's quoted. This is an excerpt. He says, Chaviv and Yisrael, the Jewish people are so beloved that they're called Banim lamakum. They're called children to Hashem. Children of God. But you know what a sign of even greater love is? That they were told that they're children of God. Because the Torah says, you are children of the Lord your God. It's one thing to be a child of God. It's another thing for God to tell you you're His child. Are you with me in the difference? Yeah? It's one thing to be God's child. It's another thing to be told that you're God's child. Oh, that's super special. So that's what, that's what uh, Rabbi Kiva says, that not only are we children of God, but we're told that we're children of God. So what is, what is implicit in the notion that we are children of God? What does that imply? If we are all children of God, what does that, what does that make us amongst ourselves? What relation, if we're all children of God, so then how, how do we relate to the fellow? What's our... Familial relationship? Siblings. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. We're siblings. Oh, if we're all children of God, then we're all siblings. If we think about that, if we meditate on that, if we take that to heart, so now we can really love our fellows ourselves. Why? How can you love your fellows yourself? What do I have to do with him or her? The answer is, what do you have to do with them? You're a sibling. You're a sibling. Don't you love your sibling? You don't have to answer that question, by the way. Right, right, ideally. So, means love your fellows yourself. Rashi says, Rabbi Kiva says, this is a great principle. In other words, it's Rabbi Akiva who's going to give you the tools and the methodology and the meditation to achieve this great foundational idea of Judaism, which is to love your fellow. How do I get that from Rabbi Akiva? Because he's the one that also taught us that we're all children of God. And if we're all children of God, that means that we're siblings. If we're all siblings, we are family. Now we can love each other. Boom, we break out to a musical, synchronized dancing. So that is a little flash mob here in middle of Torah studies. So what's going on? We have a tool or a meditational tool in order to achieve love. How do I love this stranger perhaps? Oh, not a stranger because we're all children of God. Therefore, we're all siblings. Now, one might ask the question. Slow it down, cowboy. You're telling me, you're telling me that we're all children of God, therefore we're all siblings, children of God? Pretty sure that's not how it works. Pretty sure, right, my mom is right here. I'm just saying, right, I'm her kid, God's kid. 
I, I don't know. What does that actually mean? We're all biologically, right, children of different parents. And if that's the case, then we're not really children of God, which leads us to a deeper understanding of Rabbi Kiva's statement in the Mishnah. It doesn't mean necessarily that, that our bodies are children of God. It means, what are we referring to when we talk about children of God? Help me out here. The souls, the neshama. The neshamot, the souls are children of God. So let me explain what, what, I'm, what I mean here. Look, each of us we come from different families. Yes, certainly we're all biologically related somehow, at least back to Adam and Eve or wherever, Noah, or Noah's band name, Noah and the Floods. Anyway, like we're all somehow ultimately related, certainly, but it might be, you know, 30,000th cousin twice removed. It might be one of those scenarios. However, when, the top, when we talk about a soul, right, everyone has a soul. And where does the soul come from directly? Where does the soul come from? God. My soul came from God. Your soul came from God. Guess what? We could break out and we are family again. Now we're siblings. So which means that, this, that, that the familial, the family connection that we have with our fellow, which is going to be the core possibility, it opens up the door to truly love your fellows yourself because you are a family, is not actually about the body, it's about the soul. To see this inside, let's take a look-see. Let's take a look at some Tanya. Gotta love Tanya. Take a look at text number 7a and 7b from the book of Tanya. This is chapter 32 of Tanya. This is an epic chapter. 32, by the way, the Hebrew letters that form the number 32 are Lamed and Bet. Lamed is 30, Bet is 2. Lamed Lamed Bet is Lev. What is Lev? Heart. Heart. Exactly. The heart of Tanya talks about love. Aw, how, how appropriate. Take a look at this. Text 7a, this is how chapter 32 begins. Through following the foregoing instructions of viewing one's body as lowly and abominable and rejoicing only in matters of the soul, it becomes possible to fulfill the commandment of love your fellows yourself toward every Jew from young to old. This is especially so if you consider that all souls complement one another and have one father. This is why all Jews are called brothers, because we are literally brothers at the root of our souls in God's oneness. It is only our bodies that are separate. So in Tanya, he clearly makes a distinction between bodies and souls. Bodies can be separate, but souls, as the beers might say, are forever. No, souls are united in oneness. Souls are united in fraternity and sorority. Is that... Is that a thing? thing? All right, whatever. Takes me back to my college days. Anyway, <laughs> oh, that was the rabbinical college of America. So here's the point. Here's the, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, football. <laughs> that was varsity. Is varsity, is that, a, is that a word that people use in college? All right, yeah, it was a letter. Letter? You get letters? Letter jacket? I didn't. Leather or letter? Both. I don't know. <laughs> we didn't have any of that stuff. Back to our story. Back to, back to, the, uh, back to the class. So in Tanya, he says that if you ever, if you, if you want to love your fellows yourself, you can't be focused on body. Because if you're focused on body, then we're different. If you focus on souls, now you have commonality. Now you have commonality. Focus on bodies. When I say bodies, I don't mean like body. I mean focus on the physical stuff. Then you're not going to ever really have that love. You focus on the soul, now you have a shot. Why? Because the souls are truly one. Bodies... Everyone's got their own agenda. I'll tell you a beautiful statement. I forget which of the Rebbe said this, but it's a, it's a Chabad, Chabad, classic Chabad statement. When two people get together and have a schmooze about something meaningful, you have two... I'm trying to remember what the phrase is. You have two... Godly souls, I think it's godly souls, against one animal soul. Right? Because you have two godly souls against one animal soul. So the question is asked, so why not two against two? Because there's two people. You know what the answer is? Because everyone's godly soul cares about the other godly soul. But everyone's animal soul only cares about themselves. You with me? So for every person, let's say me and you are schmoozing. So my godly soul is on board with your, anim- with your godly soul. So 
I, I have my godly soul on my side and your godly soul on my side. As far as the animal soul, your animal soul is worried about you. My animal soul is worried about me. So there's only one animal soul. It's two godly souls against one animal soul. If that makes sense to you, great. I think I said that somewhat coherently. If not, it's okay. We're going to move on. The point is that focusing on physical stuff creates this, uh, a disunity, creates dissonance, creates friction amongst people. You focus on the physical stuff, that's what divides us. Focus on the spiritual stuff, focus on the soul, that is what unites us. That is a klal gadol b'atorah, that is a general rule of Torah. So, so um, take a look at text 7b, where, where uh, from the same chapter of Tanya, the Rebbe writes the following, Th- those who view their body as primary and their soul as secondary, in other words, if you live a body slash physical slash material centric life, so those people are incapable of reaching true love and brotherhood, only love that is contingent upon an outside factor. You can't really, truly, unconditionally love if you're approaching it from a physical first space. Why? Because physical first space means that you're concerned about the physical, which is always going to be about what's in it for me. Because the physical is very selfish. The physical is the, the art of consumerism. It's, the physical is about consumption. As opposed to the spiritual, which is all about giving and doing for the other and transcending self, the physical is all about feeding self. So if it's all about feeding self, then I'm going to look at you vis-a-vis, what do you do for me? Right? It's like, I love you after you tell me what you can do for me. Then we can have a relationship. That's a contingent relationship. The relationship is contingent on how much you're doing for me. Unconditional love or an unconditional friendship means that I'm looking to give. I'm looking to, to benefit someone or something else. And that's not coming from a physical, needy, selfish, self-centric, egotistical place. It's coming from a selfless, divine soul place. In short, there's a lot of words that just happened. Let me just give you the summary. The summary is, we ask the question, how do you really love? How can you love someone like yourself? And the answer is, you actually can't if you operate body first. If you step into this space of this relationship or of this encounter, if you step in with your body first, you're never going to love them like you love yourself because you love yourself more. That's it. But if you step into this space soul first, if you dive in soul first, now you can love them as yourself because their soul and your soul, like brothers. Not like brothers, brothers and sisters and one, oneness. Here's the question, though. Now the question is, well, great. So now I know the formula, and Rabbi Kiva taught it to us. Rabbi Kiva told us that we're all brothers, we're all siblings, we're all children of God, and that means about the soul, and that's how you can love your fellows yourself. That answers all of our questions. The only catch is, the only problem is, how do I uh, fall in love? How, how do I begin accessing my soul and their soul, and how do I live soul a soul first existence as opposed to a body first existence. So to understand this, and this will be the final leg of our journey tonight, we're going to look at one more Mishnah from Pirkei Avot. One more, one more Mishnah from Ethics of Our Fathers. Alright, this is text This is text number 8. And take a look-see at what's going on over here. Okay, this is from Hillel. Text 8. Hillel says, one of the most beautiful missions in Perkei Avot. It says, Be like the students of Aaron. Aaron referring to the OG Aaron, Aaron the high priest. Be like the students of Aaron. Loving peace and pursuing peace. Loving one's fellow creatures and bringing them closer to the, close to the Torah. Let's unpack this one phrase. That I'm going to leave this up on the screen. You guys have it in front of you. Let's unpack this statement. One, let's unpack this Mishnah one statement at a time. Number one, be like the students of Aaron. When we say students, we don't mean like you're sitting in a classroom. Students mean be a follower. Follow in the ways of Aaron. Aaron was, no, Aaron was the first high priest. And Aaron was known as a lover of people. He loved people. In fact, not only did he love people, he wanted to make sure that everybody got along with each other. And so he endeavored to make sure that if there was conflict, that he would smooth it out. If he saw two people in a quarrel, the Talmud says famously, if he saw two people in a quarrel, he went over to one of them and said, you know what, your friend told me that they want to they um, reconcile. Would you be open to it? Yeah. He went, the guy never told him, but he just like, he, he took, took some initiative. 
right? Then he goes to the other guy and says, you know, the other guy told me uh, he wants to um, reconcile. Are you up to it? Yeah. Well, now that both are okay with reconciling, the next time they met, they reconciled. Why? Because they, they felt like they didn't have to go first, right? Each one heard that the other guy went, why don't we apologize, typically? Why don't we apologize and reconcile? It's because I'm going to be the one, I'll be the one to start, because it's ego. Ego gets in the way. Right? So what he did was he eliminated ego. He told each one that the other one wanted to initiate. The next time they met, they just hugged it out. Because there's nothing to... That was his tactic, yeah. Well, other thing is that you don't know how they're going to receive it, but you get a message that they want to... Right. If they're okay with it, you got the green light. Exactly. So he was a very skilled tactician. By the way, the question is asked. He lied. How, didn't, he, didn't he lie? So one answer is for the sake of truth, sake of peace. Um, but the Rebbe explains, he didn't lie, because deep down they did want to, because deep down they did want to reconcile. They just didn't want to go first. They just couldn't, they just, right, the ego got in the way, but the ego's not the deepest place, right? It's like Freud, he got the id, but not the yid. So, right, he didn't, right, so, yes, there's an ego there, there's an ego layer, but deeper than the ego, right? Lego my ego, deeper than the ego, what do you have? You have an ashama, you have a soul, and the soul wants to reconcile. So he didn't lie. He just told the deepest truth, not the superficial truth story that everyone was telling themselves to stay in a fight, but the real true story. Getting back to the point here. Hillel says, be like Aaron. Follow in Aaron's ways. I'm going to put it back on the screen. What did Aaron do? Take a look-see at this. Aaron, right, so loving peace. Number one, peace should be a value. We should be striving for peace, loving peace, and pursuing peace. Pursuing peace means good example of pursuing peace. Go out of your way to make peace. Go at, not just solve it when it's a problem, when there's tension, but go out of your way to cultivate peace. It's like you meet a couple at a dinner party, right? Husband standing next to his wife. So like, again, just obviously apply this in a, in a uh, modest fashion. But like, again, certainly if you're a guy, say to the guy, oh, you look so sharp, you look great, duh, nice tie, something. I don't, you don't have to use my lines, don't worry. But like the, the concept of praising the husband in front of the wife, now she's like, oh, see that? My husband gets praised. Now she feels good about this guy. He's not just a plus one, like, oh, he's getting compliments from this other guy, right? And vice versa. But again, you just got to be careful and be tenu about this and not, uh, not cross any lines. So keep it, keep it kosher with the compliments. But the point is, right, the point is, to foster goodwill. Go out of your way. Don't just love peace. Pursue peace. Go out of your way to create scenarios of peace. So those are the first two statements. Let's continue inside. All right? The Mishnah continues. Loving one's creatures. And as the author explains in chapter 32 of Tanya, why is it called creatures? What are we referring to? The caterpillars? No. Creatures means human beings that may not have any, any other, per, perhaps, perchance, that have no other redeeming quality other than the fact that God created them. Can you imagine somebody who the only thing you could say about them is, well, that's a person, right? That's a person. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's it. That's all I got. Um, it's like the joke about the rabbi who gets brought into a funeral for a guy that he didn't know. Basically, a guy, a, 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 an older man passes away, small town, small Jewish town, the rabbi was away on vacation, so they called the rabbi from the neighboring town to do the funeral. So he gets up, he does the funeral, the eulogy comes, and he stands up there and says, uh, Moshe was, he was a kind and generous man. Somebody gets up from the crowd and says, Moshe was a kind, are you kidding me? He didn't give a cent, he didn't give a penny. This guy was so stingy. And he says, okay, Moshe was a family man, continues uh, his speech. Family man? His kids hated him, his wife disliked him. Are you kidding me? He was a family man. So he tries another few, few angles. He gets shot down. Finally, the rabbi says, is there anyone that could say something nice about Moshe? Somebody pipes up and says, from the back and says, his brother was voice. Anyway, that's worse for you folks that are wondering what I said. Um, 
Yes, back to the point. Back to the point. Loving the, the creatures, Hillel says. Love the creatures. Creatures means loving one's fellow creatures. Even if there's no other redeeming quality, even if the only thing you could say is their brother was worse. No, I'm kidding. Even if the only thing you could say is, God, they're, they're here. You should still love them. And the final point, point number four of this mission is bringing them close to the Torah. So the Rebbe analyzes this Mishnah, and the Rebbe says the following. What is the juxtaposition between loving one's fellow creatures and bringing them close to the Torah? The Rebbe says the only way to really love one's fellow creatures is through the lens of Torah. What does that mean? Because again, like the Altar wrote in Tanya, to love someone from a physical place is a very limited type of love, a very conditional love a very fleeting love, a very transient love, a very shaky love. But when you love someone from a soul place, and that's what's hinted by the word Torah, bring them close to Torah. In other words, when you love someone through a Torah lens, through a soul lens, that's real love, and that's following in the footsteps of Aaron. So what Hillel says is synonymous with what we're learning with Rabbi Akiva and helps us understand how to actually implement the, 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 the Torah's call to love your fellows yourself. What does it mean to love your fellows yourself? How can I feel an emotion if I don't feel it? The answer is the reason why you don't feel it is because you're looking at the wrong place. If you're looking from an ego place, then you're like, I don't love them. They're sucking up the oxygen in the room. They're taking away my money. They're competing with me in business. Why should I love them? Are you kidding? They're getting more attention than me. They're cutting into my fame and glory. Perhaps. But if you're operating from a soul level, then you're not looking through a lens of competition and ego. and You're not looking at it through a narcissistic lens. You're looking at life through a selfless lens. I think Dr. Maxi mentioned this before. You're looking at life through a selfless lens. And when you look at life, I think the word that you used was abnegation. When you look at life through a selfless lens, which is the lens of the soul, the neshama that we all have, when you look at life through a selfless lens, now you can start loving. Because now it's not about you. It's about them, or it's about us. I have a soul, you have a soul. And that's what Hillel means, Mikarvan la Torah. How do you tap into the soul? It's when you engage in the context of Torah and mitzvot. That's when the soul comes alive. I'll tell you a story. The great Chassid, Remendel Futterfas. He was a man who lived in the last, in the 1900s, not that long ago. He passed away a few years ago. And he was thrown into the Russian, into Siberia. He was thrown into Siberia because the communists threw him into Siberia because of his uh, Jewish activism. He was a Chabad Chassid, and, and uh, they didn't like what he was doing with Judaism. They threw a lot of guys. This guy survived. Many people didn't make it out. He survived. And he ultimately went on to share his stories and, and inspire many thousands and thousands of people. So the story goes that he was once on a plane. And at a certain point in the 70s, the Rebbe made a call. The Rebbe put out the call that uh, for a mitzvah campaign, known as a mitzvah, not mitzvah, mitzvah means campaign, a mitzvah campaign, to wrap tefillin with any Jewish man that you meet. You meet someone Jewish, excuse me, a man over 13, a male over 13, excuse me, are you Jewish? Yes. Did you have a chance to wrap tefillin today? If not, would you like to wrap tefillin? Right? Jewish rappers, huh? Even in the afternoon? Even after, yeah, yeah anytime until Shkia, anytime until sunset. I remember the Mitzvah Mobile. The Mitzvah Tanks, they call them. The Rebel wanted to call them tanks, because like, army is all about destruction. The Rebel wanted an army that was all about good, and Mitzvahs and light. So, Mitzvah Tanks, RVs, right? Mitzvah Mobiles, RVs that would go around. In Israel, it was big, and, and the army bases. It started with the Six-Day War. It started with the Six-Day War, and then it, it carried on. So, Remendel Futavas, he's on a plane, and he sees a guy that he, you know, sometimes it's not hard to tell. He sees a guy who, like, looks Jewish. So he goes over to the guy. Now, here's the problem. He didn't speak English. And he was on, like, an American flight. I don't know if it was American Airlines, but it was American Airlines. I don't know if it was American Airlines, but it was an American airline. So he's, how do you communicate about tefillin, a highly specific topic, in a language you don't? So he's, he used the words that he knew. That he knew. 
He said, Me Jew, you Jew. Me tefillin, you tefillin. And you know what? The guy rapped. That's how it works. The guy rapped. Hillel says, Be of the students of Aaron. Be of the disciples. Follow in Aaron's ways. I have shalom, love peace. Rodev shalom, pursue peace. I have a sabriyas, love the creature, love God's creatures just because God made them. Umi karvan la Torah and bring them close to the Torah. When you care about someone on a spiritual level, when you care about the fact that you put on tefillin, do you have, do you have a chance to light Shabbat candles? Do you need some candles? Chanukah menorah, do you have the menorah? Do you want to participate in lighting or Shabbat dinner? Eat some chal, eat some chalant. When, you, when you're involved in someone, when you care enough to send the very best. No, when you care enough, when you care enough to be concerned about someone's spiritual welfare, you know what that means? When you're trying to help them, reintroduce them to, or, 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 or share the love of Judaism with them, you know what you're tapping into? Their soul, not their body, their soul, their neshama. And when you tap into their soul, that's when you can really feel the love. The greatest experience of love is when it's elevated higher than just the physical, transactional love that we typically think of as love. Look, we talk about love in men, and you've heard me say this, countless times. We talk about love in many different contexts, including I love chocolate, and which the person proceeds to consume the chocolate and swallow the chocolate. So like, I love chocolate, therefore I'll destroy the chocolate. Doesn't seem so loving to me at all, right? So we typically, some, we typically use love in the context of consuming and destroying, and that's not love. Love means I care about you. I care about, why should I care about you? So on a body level, sure, that's today's, tonight's point. On a body level, correct, it's going to be a little harder. But on a soul level, you can, you can love. And how do you reach that? What's the, what's the platform? It's like suddenly when I'm supposed to like, uh, 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 just shed my body and approach someone with my soul. Here's one way. Hillel says, umi karvan la Torah. In, speak to someone about Judaism. Speak to somebody about a God, about spirituality. And then it's a soul-first experience and a soul-full experience. Or shall I say soul-ish experience. Uh, it's a soulful experience. And when it's a soulful experience, you know what happens? There's a soul connection. And when there's a soul connection, you're loving your fellows yourself. So here's the point. In summation, make my closing arguments now. In summation, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'd like to propose that we begin fulfilling this mitzvah, to love your fellows yourself. It's not going to happen when we're in a space of body and neediness and consumerism. We're never really going to love someone. If we allegedly love, it's only going to be about what we get out of it. To really love, it's about giving. It's about selflessness. And to enter into that space, to put ourselves into that mind space and body space and really, more importantly, soul space, Hillel suggests, when we carve on the Torah, have Torah conversations. Study Torah with someone. Encourage someone to come over for Shabbat dinner or Shabbat lunch. Go to synagogue and pray with community. Do a mitzvah. Help someone else do a mitzvah. Invite someone over to, I don't know, uh, wrap tefillin, whatever it is. Share Torah. Share a mitzvah. Coca-Cola says share a Coke. That's not what Hillel says. Hill says share Torah. Share a mitzvah and you're sharing your soul. And when you share your soul, that's love. Thank you for joining me tonight for Torah studies. I hope this inspires you and I hope uh, we all commit ourselves one more mitzvah with someone else. <sighs> Pleasure. Questions, comments? Does... The talks you, when you said the, the Rebbe you talked about Rashi and eviscerating them, and are they in a book somewhere? There are some. So Leo is asking: Are some of these Rash, some of these, some of the Rebbe's talks where he pulls Rashi apart and then reconstructs Rashi in, in a dazzling way? Are they in English? So there are some. If you know the Chumash that we use here, the Gutnik edition of the Chumash, mm -hmm. what that does is it gives you the point without all the questions. If that makes sense. The Gunnik edition of the Chumash is basically based on the Rashi Sichos, the talks on Rashi. So what it does is, the way he 
not Gunnik didn't write it. Gunnik paid for it. Um, Chaim Miller, Rabbi Chaim Miller, the way he uh, the way he did it was he studied the the talk. He'll cite the Rashi. He'll cite a few commentaries, and then he'll ask maybe one or two questions, and then like resolve it with the Rebbe's insight. But you don't get the full drama. I'm tell, when I tell you a dozen questions, I mean sometimes even more than a dozen questions. The Rebbe's way of learning Rashi was, it's breathtaking. It, it, you know, we'll have to do that. One day, we'll have to, maybe not one day super far in the, in, in the, in the future, but we'll learn it in the inside, in Yiddish. We'll have, no, don't worry, I'll translate. And we'll go through step by step, point by point. Here's the verse. Here's Rashi. Make sense? You sure? <laughs> Buckle up. The Rebbe has, in fact, Rabbi, you know, many of you know Manus Friedman, Rabbi Manus Friedman. He has a, he has a brother named Eli Friedman, who is a rabbi in Tzfat, in Israel, Safed Israel. Um, big rabbi, scholar. He's, he's like, he doesn't do a lot of public speaking. He teaches in the seminary and in other places there um, um, in, in Tzfat. But he's brilliant scholar. He took from the Rebbe's talks, he took... He published a book called Klali Rashi, which means the principles, the, the rules of Rashi, based on the Rebbe's analysis of Rashi. In other words, based on how the Rebbe learned Rashi. Like if Rashi only quotes this part of the verse, he's not referring to any other part of the verse or conversation. If Rashi quotes, like we did tonight, the name of the one who authored that insight, it means look into that person's bio or other teachings for insight, for clues. If, so he gives you, uh, there's a whole book. Kalkali Rashi, with um, Hebrew, Hebrew. Um, I don't know how many, dozens, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of rules of Rashi. When you come to Rashi, and therefore you can almost reverse engineer. When you study Rashi, having the Rebbe's Derech Halimur, which means his way of learning, suddenly you look at Rashi and like, what, uh, uh, ooh, ooh, one second, he quoted a name, oh, wait, one second, look deeper, right? There's things, there are clues. If Rashi brings more than one commentary, more than one explanation, why? Super sus. Rashi's bringing more than one explanation? What was wrong with the first one that he brings the second one? And why did he put the first one first and the second one second? This is how, nothing, no stone was left unturned. The Rebbe's contribution to Torah scholarship, you cannot, just, anyway, it's mind-blowing, mind-blowing. So you got a little taste of it tonight. Little taste, one one insight into one Rashi, Rashi, and in, 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 in us struggling with how to how to love and how do you tell me you have to love? How do I love? I don't love. And the Rashi says, Rabbi Akiva says this is a principle. Why Rabbi Akiva? He's the one that says we're brothers. How are we brothers? We come from different parents. The souls are brothers. Ah, the souls are brothers. How do I tap into the soul? Focus on spiritual things, and now that scaffolds back. It's like dominoes. They flip the other way. If I'm focusing on spiritual matters, and I'm connecting with their soul, then I can love them from a pure place, and now you can mandate love. Because the Torah is telling us, stop being so rooted in materialism. Stop being so narcissistic. Stop being so, stop being so much about existence and start living. There's a difference. Existing is about sucking oxygen. Living is about con contributing. Be more alive and less existent. All right. Questions? Yes, mom. Um, I, I just want to say that when Yosef, when Joseph, when the brothers came to Egypt and he said, and it says he recognized them, right. he recognized that they were different, that their souls had changed. Mm. I think you taught that not too long ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds, sounds familiar, right? He recognized them. They didn't recognize him. They couldn't understand his soul, but he recognized their souls. Yeah. It's hard to recognize a soul. Right? You see one when you, you, you know one when you see one. No, I'm kidding. That's, it's hard to like see someone's soul. It's easier to see the externals. It's easier to see what I need versus you know, the, the depth of a relationship, what I can, how I can help someone. Yeah. yeah, but I remember that you taught that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. From what your mother said, I, I was thinking about the, his, Joseph's brothers too. They, were they lauded for being honest and showing how much they disdained him? Yet here, yeah. But if they were lauded for that, we have a... Listen, Shivan Panamatar, there's 70 uh, facets. So Elio is raising a question. He says, um, 
there is a there is a commentary on the story of Joseph when they originally sell him. Uh, the Torah says before they sold him as a slave that they they could not speak to him nicely. And the commentaries, some commentaries say that was actually a good thing. How's that a good thing? Because they didn't like him and they didn't pretend. They, they, didn't, they didn't speak to him nicely even though they hated him. They couldn't speak to him nicely. In other words, they felt they were angry at him and they, 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 they didn't pretend. They weren't two-faced. So now you're saying, once I based on tonight's class, maybe we should be two-faced because we should, not, we, we should understand that the flaws that we see or the anger that we have is only vis-a-vis -vis physical things but not the spiritual truth of who they are. So maybe we should love them and then speak nicely because of that place of love. And the answer is, you're right. Yes, that would be, I think, a, com a conflict with that commentary, okay. which is why we have 70 facets of Torah. Sometimes you need to hear, huh? That's all there are, 70? Only nah, 70 general categories. There's many thousands of, uh, of nuances in Torah study. Anyway, all right. We'll see you guys. Have a good night. Have a wonderful night. See you soon. Um, a quick announcement and very important announcement. Next week, we're starting a brand new series, six-week series on Jewish law and ethics. The course is called Beyond Right, or as I like to call it, Left. I'm kidding. Beyond Right, I, I, the title, I didn't make the title, so I don't, uh, but the course is phenomenal. It takes real-life cases and analyzes them from the perspective of Jewish law. It's a brand new course, perspective of Jewish law and then breaks down Jewish law and demonstrates how the law is emanating from Jewish values. How do values influence the law, and how do specifically in this context Jewish values influence Jewish law in contrast with American values perhaps influencing American law? That's going to be the context of this class. So it's going to be looking at the law and then looking deeper as to the underpinnings of the law based on Jewish ethics and Jewish values and Jewish moral conscience and, uh, and, and showing how the values give rise to the laws and how there's a beautiful connection between law and, uh, and, and morals and ethics. So join me for that. You can always try Tuesday night, Tuesday night at 8 on Zoom and Thursday at noon in person. Here. Thursday noon here with bagels, cream cheese, lox, tomatoes, onions, cucumber, and a whole delicious dinner. And you can come try it out? You can come try it, yes. You can come try it out the first class. You can come to the first class, check it out. Thursday noon, next week, not tomorrow. So the 10th and 12th of May, I'm telling you, you will love this course. If you're not sure, got nothing to lose. Try it. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. You can try it out and check your schedule and everything. Check out the first class at least, if not sign up for the whole thing. It is unbelievable. If you are a lawyer or if you know someone who's a lawyer or attorney or if you want to play one on TV, this is fully accredited by the state bar for CLE credits, continuing legal education credits. All right, beyond right, intownjewishacademy.org slash law. All right, it's the law. Buckle up. Stop at stop signs and sign up for the course. All right, see you guys. Take care. Lila Tov, everybody. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.